Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. Episode 55, Creating Fantasy Landscapes Through Observation and Ink with Sam Gillett. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in again and for the kind messages uh, that you continue to send me about the podcast. I really enjoy the feedback and uh, the comments and ways I can improve and what I'm doing right. So it really uh, means a lot to me. So thank you very much. So I'll just provide a, a few updates and then we'll go right into my interview with this week's guest. Uh, we're coming up on newsletter week, so I send out a monthly newsletter about what I've been working on and some of my tools and that. My next newsletter comes out June 19th. So if you aren't subscribed, you can do that through um, through the drawinginspiration.fm website as well as mikehendley.com. You can also just go to newsletter.mikehendley.com and uh, follow the newsletter. I'm not sending anything more out than this newsletter I send out once a month. I may in future do a little bit more as a matter of emails, but for now it's just the newsletter. So I'm going through a bit of a mid-year review right now of my theme and what I'm hoping to accomplish this year. Just a reminder that my theme for this year was Focus and Flight. And I'm just reviewing that to see if I'm still happy with that. I do. I, I will change my theme if I feel I need to. Maybe by the next episode I'll have more of an update on that. But I'm always, you know, thinking, is this where I want to be? Is this what I want to be doing with regard to my creative journey? And uh, I want to be open with uh, what I'm thinking about. I I feel like I'm losing focus a little bit. So part of it is, is the theme appropriate? And the other is, am I being true to my theme? Am I putting enough time into the decisions I make to make sure they're consistent with my theme? So uh, a lot going on, a lot to consider, but it's always good to kind of reflect on uh, what we're doing and why we're doing it. So something I've been playing with recently is an app. It's a web-based app called Aggie.io. That's A-G-G-I-E.io. And it is a collaborative drawing app that uh, works within a web browser. So typically Chrome is the better solution for that. But it does work in Safari. I prefer Chrome. And what the way it works is it's kind of like Photoshop meets Microsoft Paint. So it's more towards Photoshop. It has uh, some features uh, the ability to support layers and things like that. But it doesn't have the kind of, um, you know, the number of brushes and the number of effects and things that you can get normally in uh, in Photoshop. And so the whole point with this tool is you can draw in the canvas. You create a new canvas and you can draw. Uh, if you've got an iPad, you can use the iPad through Chrome and actually use your Apple Pencil. It works quite well. And what you can do then is you can invite others to draw at the same time. And everybody gets their own layer. You can have more than one layer. You can't draw on someone else's layer, but if your layer is on top of their layer, everything you draw will appear on top. You know, that whole idea of kind of each layer is a piece of acetate film and they get piled up. If your layer's on top of theirs, uh, it will cover their layers. So anyways, all this to say, I signed up for the... um, I guess the pro version, which gives you some added features. It's like $10 a month or something. I've been hosting a few drawing events in support of a collaboration festival that was happening on Clubhouse. So I think I'm going to do a few more, invite a few other people uh, through my my Drawing Inspiration Club, which is on Clubhouse. So if you're on Clubhouse, follow me. And then the first club you'll see listed below my name at the very bottom is the Drawing Inspiration Club. And I think I'm going to do some more of these um, 
collaboration draws. So all you really need is the ability to draw. Like if you all you have is a computer and a mouse, that works. If you've got an iPad with a pencil, that's even better. I would not try it on a phone. It's not a great experience. And if you just want to come and watch, you can do that as well. But the advantage with Clubhouse is, by default, this application has no support for audio. So when you couple this with Clubhouse, it's a great way for everyone to chat while you're drawing um, through audio. So if you are interested in that, follow me, and I think I'm going to try doing a couple of more of these. So stay tuned, follow me on Clubhouse, and if you're interested, uh, follow along and we can draw it together. It's, uh, it's just kind of fun, chat and draw. So I did set up a few rooms within Clubhouse where I was drawing and encouraging others to come in if you were drawing as well, and we could just chat. But this would be drawing with whatever tool you're using, whether it's an iPad or analog tools, and that was fun as well. So I'm probably going to spin that up again later this year. Uh, but for now, just with schedules, it was hard for me to, uh, to have something regular with that. And I would encourage you, if you just want to explore what this aggie.io looks like, um, there is a link in the show notes. So once again, please check out the show notes and it's free. So the Aggie version is free. The pro version is called Magma Studio. There's some pluses with, with both. They talk that through on the site, but if you just want to play with it and see how it works, just try aggie.io. It works, uh, it works really well. I'm impressed. So some of the art pieces I've been doing, I did a, an owl in Procreate. So that was just me getting back to uh, to drawing the iPad. I do a little bit of doodling on the iPad, but I wanted to take something a bit more seriously. So I did this owl, which is kind of sitting on a branch against a blue sky. It's based off a couple of reference photos I took a number of years ago of uh, great gray owls. That was, uh, was fun to be drawing and procreate again. And as soon as I say that, I'm going to talk about <laughs> drawing watercolor. Uh, so I've been playing a little bit more with watercolor. I've always struggled with it. I really want to like it um, because I love the tools. I like the ability to be able to pack a kit and go and, and just paint and not have to worry about waiting for the paint to dry and that kind of thing. So I've been doing a few pieces here in my sketchbooks. Um, I did three different birds. So I did a baby kill deer, an eastern bluebird, and a barn owl, all with watercolor. I didn't use any ink in these ones. I just wanted to play with watercolor and get a sense of, of layering it and how I can protect the layers and playing with the colors a little bit. And I'm pretty happy with how things turned out. Uh, I've got links in the show notes. You can take a look at them on my Instagram. And um, this is all me just kind of ramping things up. I want to do some larger watercolors. I'm spending a whole day later uh, this month at a... Um, uh, an auto rec yard <laughs> where I'm actually going to be drawing these old cars. And so I'm looking forward to that. So I'm trying to get out more and uh, do some painting and inking now that uh, the pandemic is subsiding a little bit. I feel like uh, I have a bit more freedom in doing that kind of thing. Still not interacting with people, but just the ability to go and, and sit and stand and wherever I choose to and uh, take in the sights and sounds and, and be able to put some uh, some some water on paper and ink and play with all of that stuff. So I always post all of it to Instagram and sharing my works in progress and always anxious to answer questions. So looking forward to uh, continuing to do that. So that's it for updates. I wanted to keep that short and sweet and I think I succeeded. So now we'll dive right into my interview for this week. My guest this week has been drawing for years, even though he is still early in his career as an artist. His ink renderings of fantasy places caught my eye on Instagram. 
and we even had a chance to do a live draw together. I then dropped into his Skillshare classes and left with some thoughts of how I can improve my art. His composition and perspective skills are on point, and his ink work is incredible. To talk about his creative journey, it is my pleasure to welcome to the Drawing Inspiration podcast, Sam Gillett. Sam, how are you? I'm pretty well. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks for coming on. It's uh, it's great to speak with you. I've, you know, I don't remember where I first found you. I don't remember if it was Instagram first or if it was Clubhouse, but I was immediately pulled into the ink drawings that you do and the level of detail. And I was like, this is this is my kind of artist. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I think I think it was Clubhouse, and I clicked on your profile as well, and I saw the art you you've done. And then I I think we did some lives together as well, or. Yeah, we uh, yeah we did. I think at least one, maybe two. It was at least one. I remember there was one that went quite long where we actually were drawing together. I would think I was drawing a duck, and you were, I think, working on Rivendell. I think. Yeah, there's something kind of trance-like I've found when you're doing like a co-drawing session, and you're both kind of absorbed in your own project, but like half your brain is in the other person's project as well. It's, it's an interesting experience. It it is a weird experience because I feel like. I don't know if we, I don't think we recorded it, right? Um, but I feel like if we listened to the conversation, it would probably f- sound really weird because I'm not sure that I converse properly if I'm really into a drawing. Yeah, I remember I was talking to another artist about this and we were saying how it's when you're drawing and chatting, it's kind of like when you're a kid and you're playing Lego and talking and the conversations and what you talk about and your cadence and everything, how you're speaking, like changes completely. And it's it would be nonsensical if you're not, the person actually playing with the Lego or holding the pen. Yes, exactly. I mean, you're interacting with a drawing and then you, you see a pencil that, um, and I think this is exactly what happened. You know, I'm sitting there drawing, and I'm looking at the pencil and I, oh, I should ask Sam if he has this pencil, right? And it all just doesn't make sense unless you were watching the video and, and maybe even some of that doesn't make sense, but people seem to enjoy it when we did it. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun and it was great as well. Yeah, seeing what's in your toolbox. I think we talked about jelly roll pens a lot and yeah. the different ways of using ink and graphite, all that kind of stuff. That's right. Yes. I'm surprised at how much I remember that actually. <laughs> yeah, it's coming back to me now because I had I had, I brought out some water soluble graphite and started playing with that as well. Uh, yeah, that was uh it was good to do that. We should do that again. Yeah. It was a lot yeah, of fun. For sure. So I wanted to uh, start where I always would like to start and just finding out what makes what makes you Sam and to find out where you come from, where you are, and, and where you're going, where you intend to be going with, with this creative uh, journey that you're on. So uh, we chatted just before we started recording, and I wanted to get back to that in that, um, you know, trying to understand, you know, a lot of us as kids, we draw, but I'm wondering, did you have influences growing up? around being creative um to helping you know to to guide you or shape you or were were you supported were you not that kind of thing so how did it start for you yeah i think i was extraordinarily lucky um in the sense that i grew up in a farm um a a non-working farm so i was surrounded by nature lots of inspiration and both my parents were really um they were both really into hobbies that complemented the drawings I do now. And what I mean by that is that um, my mom studied medieval history and was always into um, history that was adjacent to the inspirations of Lord of the Rings, um, Chronicles of Narnia, um, all these other fantasy realms that I have drawn inspiration from or really enjoy kind of living in with my pen. Um, And then my dad is an architect and 
he became an architect in the era that you still do um, primarily like pencil drawings. And so he learned um, pencil drawing when he was in university and kind of cultivated those skills and also developed a, a pretty robust uh, travel drawing practice as well and drawing every trip we went on, creating a little diary of sketches, that kind of stuff. And he um, really gave me the tools and my siblings as well. So I have a brother and a sister and all three of us, he would constantly provide us with um, sketching material. And now that I think of it, it was probably just like pencils that he had left over from work and um, erasers and that kind of stuff, but always encouraged us to draw. And my mom simultaneously always encouraged us to kind of read a lot, look into history um, and kind of um, explore influences and the myths and legends that kind of inspire a lot of the things that we love to watch um, in terms of fantasy and that kind of stuff. And yeah, so my dad um, really encouraged me to draw. He taught me a lot about drawing, enrolled me in um, watercolor, or sorry, acrylic uh, paint classes with a local artist in my town. And also um, we did like a weekly drawing club, arts and letters club, he called it. And so I remember like the first, uh, you, uh, you asked me this, I can't remember the first time um, that I, that I drew with him or that I kind of drew in this way. But the first time I can remember it was drawing this, um, we were drawing aliens and the way we would do it is you'd start on one part of the paper with your pencil and you couldn't leave the page and you just had to, uh, draw looping lines and oversecting lines to create these creatures. And so I don't really do that anymore, but I think that, yeah, it's a kind of a pivotal experience in the beginning because the, the whole, yeah, the whole experience of drawing and ink for me has been really positive and based on like creativity, exploration, developing my, my own style. And so he was definitely a huge part of that. And he still is. We post on Instagram together sometimes and draw together a lot on, on trips, that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's an avid Instagrammer as well, actually these days. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. The way that, uh, cause when I look at your work and, and I'll provide a link in the show notes, as I always do around this stuff, uh, people will see now, uh, the influence of both the, uh, your dad as an architect and your mom with her, uh, interest in medieval history. Like it's, he, it's pretty evident yeah. that connections meet with you. <laughs> yeah. I guess he, he also really instilled like a love of perspective drawing as well. And, so yeah, on, on trips, doing travel sketching, we'd always be looking up at the buildings, trying to draw what we what we saw. That's pretty frustrating as a kid, but I'm, I'm glad I got kind of forced to try that out and develop my skills there too. Can I ask you then, I mean, is it going to be obvious, what were your favorite books? Yeah, I think um, Chronicles of Narnia would be a huge one. And so my mom read me those books when I was almost too young to read. Um, and then, uh, do you know the Redwall series? I do not. By Brian Jacks. It's about a whole bunch of um, animals in this like woodland realm who can all talk. Hmm. And it's pretty much a kind of a story of a medieval kingdom, but all the subjects and kings and everything are animals um, and the wars and the, the heroes and quests. And then um, a little bit older, I guess, Aragon was a huge uh, series mm-hmm. that I uh, I read with my mom and then on my own in later years. And and then I read Lord of the Rings a little bit too young. I think it was like 12 or 13. And um, I didn't really get it at first, put it down for a few years, and then picked it back up when I was thir- uh, 14 or 15. And then after reading the series once, um, just became really in love with that that world, which for me didn't really take the... Yeah, it didn't um, become researching the history or the characters or anything. It was just more like 
imagining myself in that kind of world. Um, and that's how it's been, I think, with a lot of these fantasy books or universes that I've I've really loved exploring. And you kept this up like in reading and consuming this information over the years as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, um, I think f- as far as like fantasy novels and stuff, it's it kind of like died down a little bit um, in the past few years. And I've just found it harder to find books that kind of compare to Lord of the Rings for me, I guess. Um, but in any kind of literature or movies that I like to watch, I really like ones that hinge off strong characters and have like a really compelling, like emotional, um, emotional pivot or an emotional kind of crux to the story. And I think Lord of the Rings has that as well, as well as incredible scenery. Um, but when I'm drawing, actually, I will listen to podcasts or sometimes audiobooks, not as much. And yeah, I just really love ones with really strong characters. And for me, that's really inspiring and equally as inspiring as, as scenes and, um, epic action battles and all that kind of stuff that you, you read about in these books. So with the interest in drawing, it wasn't necessarily what you went, um, and got your degree in, correct? So what made you think, even though it was such a big part of your life, what made you think I'm going to go this other route? Was it an interest or was it, I'm not going to make money as an artist? Like, how did you, how did you rush, you know, rationalize that in your head as a matter of the direction you took at that point? Yeah, I think it's something a lot of people might empathize with would be the feeling that like they love art, but they don't have time to draw. And even though I was a kid, that was me, um, really until like for the end of my childhood and my entire time in high school, I drew during art class, never really took it seriously or drew outside of that. And maybe on trips with my dad every once in a while. Um, but the drawing and the actually putting pen to paper kind of faded during high school. Um, but then through that, I, um, took a gap year program and, um, was in South Africa actually, and had a little Moleskine notebook uh, with me and a couple of micron pens. And I had been using them before to, um, like journal and do a little diary, that kind of stuff. But then it just kind of came naturally to me at some points to just kind of draw what I saw. And so I remember whether that was like a, a building in like a small, small town by the coast or like drafts when we went on a safari, um, I drew them in ink and I found out that like, kind of like riding a bike, I think some of those skills don't really fade. So even if I hadn't drawn or painted or um, used pencil crayons for so long, it was still kind of there in my muscle memory. And so even after I kind of picked that up again, wasn't too regularly. And so for me going to university drawing or being creative like that wasn't really on my mind. And so I went out to Halifax in Canada and started studying journalism because I had always loved writing as well. And like I talked about earlier, I think the love of like stories and, and people's stories and how people interact with, with the world has always been a big, a big source of inspiration for me as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm an introvert and found it pretty stressful moving. And so I kind of came back to drawing again. And at nights after like long days writing essays or trying to make small talk, or avoiding small talk and uh, <laughs> meeting new people, I would draw for like an hour or two um, while I was watching, I think it was like watching House of Cards or something. So I'd like draw and watch TV to de-stress. And the, f- the thing I naturally gravitated to was like cityscapes, which I think is kind of a, another influence of my dad, how that's kind of like my comfort zone, um, drawing cities and, and drawing architectural motifs and perspectives um, that way. 
and then I would do ink and then cover it with pencil crayon. And I posted a few of them to Instagram and a lot of people liked them. And I got more likes on those than my, my regular photos of me um, or the pasta I made or anything like that. And so I yeah, started posting those more often and drawing more often too. And eventually, like I guess a month or two in, it was something I would do every night and it, the day didn't really feel complete unless I was drawing. But I guess, yeah, to answer your, your other question, I, I studied journalism. The drawing was always a side, a side project. And now I, I work as a journalist and drawing is still a side project, but it's definitely like, um, taken its place in my life, uh, as a more than a hobby. And so I'm kind of making more of my income from drawing over the, over the months. And it's a major part of my daily schedule as well as my social life. And as well, um, just the community on Instagram has been really positive for me as well as the, the skills that I've learned on there. And then a lot of my extracurriculars, um, apart from work involve drawing too, whether that's Skillshare classes or just drawing live or posting stuff or just drawing in general. I, I really, I mean, I wanted to have you on because I have a diversity of guests coming onto the show and I just love people who are early stage. They've found a solution for themselves, a creative solution, a way to integrate creativity in their life. And it may not be their prominent career and that's okay. I, I think people, it's okay to have a hobby and it's okay that for, to monetize that hobby at some point. And you could even do it on a small scale. And that's why I think it, I was so excited to have you on is because it, it can be really accessible to people if you just put in the time to do it. And you've you've been drawing for quite a number of years now. And so you've drawn with ink predominantly. Um, you do work with pencil. Um, you work with colored pencil. Do you still do that? Or is it largely ink? Um, it's mostly ink. Um, colored pencil, I really enjoy using when I'm like traveling, doing little travel sketches. And then... Now, um, it's about 30%, 35% um, iPad with Procreate as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I saw a post you did, I think it was today, uh, with, the, with the ship, with the, with the, uh, in yeah, the valley. Or, yeah. yeah, I found um, it's kind of nice these days. Uh, with, I find pen drawing um, is really peaceful and relaxing for me, but I find Procreate, painting in Procreate is such a different part of my creative brain. Um, that it's it's almost nice to like take a break from drawing with pen and from like squinting my eyes and and looking down at the page and then picking up an iPad and, and with Procreate there's no consequences for anything you do and it's just very free-flowing and so it's I don't think I like it more or less really it's just such a right. different style of, of creating art that I've been finding it really invigorating that's cool we're gonna have to talk more about Procreate um <laughs> And uh, we'll also get to Skillshare as well, because that's exciting. And uh, that's, I think, something that's um, accessible for people who want to learn in what you teach, but also for those artists who may be interested in, because I'm thinking about creating a Skillshare class. So it's that question of at what point do you become the teacher? So we're going to get to that as well. But I wanted to kind of dig deeper into kind of the analog tools that you're using, because as part of our life draw together, it was so cool to find out what you were using and I was able to share what I was using and we were able to go back and forth. And it was, I I don't, I'm a big introvert as well. I've been spending all my life learning to be an extrovert when I need to be, but I'm a huge introvert. And so it was great to have that conversation with you and connect with someone because it, it's hard to have that connection beyond 
commenting on an Instagram, you know, I think Clubhouse has been great for a lot of lot of us as artists because we're able to find our people. But um, I wanted to talk about the analog tools you're using because you do cover this in your Skillshare. Can you talk about that with regard to the paper and the pens? Because I've had so many artists on here and we've talked about so much paper, <laughs> whether it's watercolor, you know, cold press versus hot press and so on and so forth. So what do you like to use as a matter of sheets of paper if you're doing that work? And I I didn't realize you did so much travel sketching as well. Um, do you have a sketchbook that you like? Because you talked about the moleskin. So maybe I'll introduce it with that. Let's start with the paper. What's your preferred paper? So paper, um, I'll just take a second. I don't even know where my sketchbook is right now. That's not a good sign. But I, um, over on the other side of the room, I think I have a Strathmore sketchbook, which is pretty much what I've um, started using exclusively. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And so it's a 11 by 14 um, style block sketchbook um, with easy tear out paper. And so the moment you fold it, um, the paper kind of falls out. And as well, it's a, I think it's a 120 pound paper. So it's very, very thick, thicker than cardstock. And the reason I'm liking that right now is because I've um, been trying to kind of move into more like long um, or in-depth ones that take longer to draw. And so that kind of paper gives me a really good starting place for large drawings and ones that require like a lot of ink on the page. Um, I find paper that's thinner than that can sometimes be distorted when you use like markers or a lot of ink um, in the back. And it also just looks a little bit nicer when people um, buy originals as well, if they get a really thick um, piece of paper with the, with the art on it. So can, can I ask you before you, you go on? So the Strathmore paper, is it, is it a hot press or is it more like a vellum? Like how smooth is this that you prefer for doing your ink work? Um, it is a, oh, I'm not even prepared for that one. It's, I, I think it's a, a wet medium. Um, so it's, it does have a little bit of uh, texture to it. And okay. on the sketchbook, I think it says it is suitable for, um, watercolor as well. Okay. But I do like it leaning more towards the smooth side. So I, I have a watercolor sketch pad as well, which is much more textured than than the Strathmore. Right. And so I, I do like it to be fairly smooth, but I think especially with pens and with fine pens, you, there needs to be a balance in that it needs to be um, smooth enough that very delicate pens can like run over the paper freely and you don't have to kind of correct your lines um, if they kind of get lost in the in the weighty paper or the texture but you also want it to be textured enough that it really grabs onto thick pens and, and um, markers as well. But I, I should say that this sketchbook is what I've been really loving, and I think I'm on my third one of that now. Wow. But I use um, quite a range of, of paper usually. Any sketchbook, I'm not super picky about sketchbooks. I just like them to be larger. I'm a lefty as well, so if it lays flat, that's helpful for me. And if it's a, a top fold sketchbook, that's really helpful as well. Okay. Yeah, I think that I've bought, I guess for your travel sketchbooks, um, Moleskine or Airship notebooks, actually. And so the Airship ones I find are a little bit thicker paper um, as well as they like lie flat a little bit nicer too. And they're very small. I think they're like five by seven inches. And so the size of those is definitely nice to be able to slip in my pocket, um, take me with me um, anywhere. But the, the larger ones definitely on a desk. Something about the larger paper to me just makes me take more time or feel more serious about the drawing I'm doing. Right. I tend to take better care of it 
once I like clean up for the night as well, if it's a larger sketchbook for some reason. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, I can appreciate that. I was, uh, the la- I did a couple of drawings that were 11 by 14 or not nine by 12. And it definitely feels like a bit more of a purchase, like it's or an investment that you're making into it versus, uh, you know, and once again, I've got a small little sketchbook, like five by seven or whatever it is. And it's the same thing. It feels, you know, you can spend an hour, two hours on something and it's fine. But uh, you feel that when you're doing something, that's, you know, nine by 12 or 11 by 14, eight, 10 hours, it seems more acceptable. Yeah. And I, I don't want to uh, go on a tangent, but for me, it, it kind of actually, um, it seems weird to say, but it was in partly a response to Instagram. And throughout, um, before 2020, I, my work had been kind of shifting more towards um, like simpler line work, if that makes sense. And I, I have nothing against that style or, or creating simple drawings that have a lot of like great shape and, and style, um, emphasis and strong symbolism and motifs. But for me, I had been kind of like leaning towards that more as it seemed like a way to get work done quicker and work that connected with more people on Instagram. And so actually to get a larger sketchbook and to kind of invest in better tools and take more time with how I treat those tools, um, it's kind of forced me to take a step back and create work that for me, I, I find more fulfilling, which I think just means that it's like, yeah, the work I really want to do rather than the work that I think I should be posting on Instagram, if that makes sense. And so the the sketchbooks and the pens have actually helped me do that, I think, in the past year. Yeah, that's that's the tough bit, right? With Instagram is you end up becoming a slave to the medium uh, or, or to the... Um to the uh, the social platform versus growing as an artist, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. As, yeah, as a beginner artist, it's really easy to get corralled into thinking your style should be a certain way or when you're only posting a certain kind of work and you post something different and it doesn't get a good reception. Um, I think that could be, yeah, it could be really intimidating and discouraging for sure. And it has been for me. Yeah, I think um, social media is, is challenging. I think, you know, we're too... I, I think some of us allow people to be uh, art critics too easily. And, you know, I think there's an opportunity, and like I've, through Clubhouse, actually, I've been part of these art critic events, and I had never been part of one before. But to hear how it's organized and how these people have experienced doing it, talk about it, it it's so fulfilling. And it's something I would suggest everybody try. But to uh, to rely on a comment on one of your posts as a way to say that your stuff is great or it's not, and and I'm guilty of the same thing. Like I'll post something and it's like, why why aren't people liking this one? I thought this was better than the last one, but it's it's different. You can't judge your work on that. Yeah, I think one thing you said earlier, I really uh, really stuck out to me in that like clubhouse and finding new ways to engage with artists other than comments is so important, and I think. That's really true because if you only interact with the online world through posting and, and receiving comments, that's such a, a, a kind of like a one-dimensional way of creating art and distributing art. Right. But I think if if you're talking with people about the tools that they use, or if you're if you know the work that someone's put into a piece of art, and if they know the same about you, um, I think it yeah, it becomes a little bit more of an authentic place to post art and to to learn from as well, rather than just viewing it as a medium to distribute your art on, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. So about the tools, yeah. let's get, so we've talked about the paper, let's get to the pens. And 
can you tell me what your preferred pen is and size? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I'm very boring uh, with my pens, and <laughs> so I I like Stadler and Micron, and I haven't really experimented much with any um, like ink pens that you have to refill or anything mm-hmm. like that or brush pens. But I guess my my favorite pen would definitely be the uh, Micron Zero Zero Five, and I just love how fine it is basically, and, and the details it allows you to to kind of put down on the page. And for me, I think when I'm using really small pens, it does change the the style of the image when I'm shading, especially. And so I okay. find if I do a lot of my shading with a 005 as opposed to like a 07 pen or like a brush pen, um, it changes the, yeah, just the style of the work. And so I think my style has developed in a way that makes a 005 work best for most parts of my drawing, whether that's shading or details or highlights. And really a Stadler or Micron, uh, to me, they're pretty, pretty similar. And I can, I can really deal with both. Um, I go through them so quickly and I forget to leave the caps on and that kind of stuff (laughs) that I just need to buy them all the time. And so I'm, I'm starting to buy them in, in more bulk from Amazon. That's kind of fixed that problem. But yeah, I think that'd be my favorite style of pen. So I've used the the 005 size of the Micron. It, it is really, really tiny. Can you explain a scenario where you wouldn't use that, where you would go larger? Yeah, definitely. I, I think there is uh, for sure. Um, I'm thinking in some drawings, you want to have like black lines. Um, and so, for instance, in the like a detailing of a, of a windowsill or something like that, or really, really harsh shadows, um, I'd go to like a 05 or 07. And then in some drawings as well, if there is... Um, a wide variety of shadow. And so for instance, if I'm drawing like a pine forest, I might still use the 005 for most of the shadow, but the like a 1.0, I guess, brush or a 07 pen can be used for the the darkest part of the shadow. And so I think in a drawing with a wide spectrum of of values and shades, then I might use a heavier pen or a brush. And then I think that kind of fits a little bit more, though I find in a lot of the drawings, if I do, if they're high contrast drawings, if I'm using a 005 for details and then I kind of dab in a, a brush pen or a 07, for instance, it can kind of look a little bit unnatural or like it doesn't really fit as much. When you're creating these pieces, are you doing a pencil outline first? Uh, does that happen every time or sometimes or how does pencil yeah. play into it? Yeah, I really, I like using pencil and I really felt guilty about that for a long time because um, it felt kind of like cheating and my, my dad, when he does travel sketching and when we've done it together too, he often encouraged me to just go to ink. And I think that there's a lot to be said about that. And you build a lot of uh, skills and incredible hand-eye coordination, I think, as well, kind of transferring scale and perspective onto the page without the safety of pencil. Though as I've kind of developed my own drawing practice, I'm more into fantasy scenes or making up my own scenes. And for that Composition is such a key part of um, my practice now. And I think in order to create a good composition for me, um, unless I had a lot, many more years of skill, I think, um, the the pencil kind of allows me to kind of visualize um, the scene before I kind of commit to laying down the ink. And so pencil is definitely a really key part in making sure I can visualize what I want to draw and visualize how uh, like a random stranger who's viewing it might see the scene and then hopefully limit the mistakes I make further down the road. Okay, so I wanted to dive into your 
process a little bit, and it'll kind of reflect some of the stuff that you've talked about in your Skillshare classes. So um, I'll provide a link directly to those Skillshare classes because I think they're so well done and great reviews and seeing other people's projects there is kind of cool. But you talked about a few things. You cover textures in one of them, which is which is great. I think that's a huge struggle for people, uh, especially in ink, is trying to work with textures. Do you have any quick tips or guidance around managing textures? I think the first thing that came to mind would be to take cues from your work, Mike, which I think it, it kind of relies on some similar rules. And I think what I mean by that is that when we learn to draw as kids, there's certain things like the sun in the corner of the, of the paper and the way that the clouds are like bubbles, that kind of stuff. And for me, at least I developed ways of looking at objects, which kind of makes the object look like I think it should look like, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So all houses have the single roof and the picket fence, for instance. And when you're drawing from your imagination, it can be really hard to not rely on those stereotypes that aren't true. And I think that can be similar, um, whether you're drawing a turtle or a um, like a loon or a fantasy castle. And so I think with texture, no matter what you're drawing, looking at a reference is, is super key. And whether it's a photo of that loon or looking at it out your window, or when you're drawing a castle, looking at references as well. And I guess it's harder when the drawing is imaginary or the scene is imaginary. But for, for instance, if I'm drawing a castle, I'm going to be looking at photos of bricks, or I'm going to be observing bricks that I see as I'm on the bus or walking down the street. And by observation, you can get a fuller sense of, of what the texture actually looks like, as opposed to what you think it should look like. And I think recognizing the, the place that light plays in that as well, and especially with black and white work, light is a really, really key ingredient, and it changes the, the way that we perceive textures. Um, and so if we're still talking about the, the brick or the rock on the castle, mm-hmm. kind of seeing the way that light plays off those rocks and the areas that you need to shade in darker to make it look like light is um, kind of reflecting or being hidden in the crevices of the rocks. And so by observation and by picking out references, um, I think you can more realistically uh, convey texture. And whether it's an unrelated picture, so if I'm like looking at a stone wall, I can transfer that into a drawing of a castle, for instance. And so just being a really keen observer I think that's a really big part of art because even if you um, can't draw what you want to draw technically, if you can observe really well and really thoroughly, I think over time your your hand just naturally learns what your brain knows, right? Um, if you let yourself make mistakes and really work on texture. Um, and yeah, I think that'd be my, my top tip, like observe the textures in the real world or in photos to try to transfer those into your own work. Yeah, it is really uh, tough. I mean, it's a lot of negative drawing where you're trying to push these shadows into the paper such that the natural color of the paper becomes, you know, the range that you consider to be white or beige. You know, obviously it's it's uh, dependent on the paper and you're working in black and white, but or black and cream or whatever <laughs> the color of your paper is. Um, but I, I do see a lot of people struggling with that because they, they want to draw everywhere. And sometimes it's not what you're drawing, right? That, um, or it, it's not what you draw that is the most important thing. It's, it's what you draw around it to help push that up. For sure. And I think a lot of people as well, um, what you said earlier about the white and black, a lot of people think of ink drawing in like whites and blacks. And so 
I guess I don't want to flog the the castle idea, but over and over again. But um, <laughs> it's a good example, though. It's yeah, tough. yeah. If you're yeah, yeah. if you're looking at your texture, you have to look at it in relation to the rest of the scene. And so, rocks are rarely completely white. And so, if you're if you're drawing them on a white piece of paper, um, even if they are flooded in sunlight, usually depending on the rest of the elements of your scene, you want to shade in the entire castle very lightly and then shade in darker the the shadows. And so I think when you're drawing textures, they are all reliant on each other when you're drawing a scene. And so observing the relative lights and darks of all the textures is a really key ingredient or else exactly what you said, you're going to end up with kind of wonky textures that don't really reflect reality because you're, you're trying to, yeah, push too much ink into the scene where it's not needed or not enough in other areas. Right. And that's, probably a little bit easier to handle too if you're working you know 11 by 14 or some larger size and you're working with a 005 you can add the texture to basically make a rock look gray because the viewing is distance is is offset that you can achieve that right yeah yeah and that's that's like a hack i think because it it also allows you to make some mistakes and if you start off with the 005 even for your shadows it's well, that's one layer farther than using just pencil but it's one layer before shading it in with a really heavy pen. So starting off lighter, I guess, allows you to kind of screw up a little bit and kind of recover from it, from it uh, further down the road. Yeah, and I think on that point about, you know, making mistakes or whatever the case, what I thought was interesting is you talk about these guidelines. Like if you're drawing a line, you don't necessarily commit to the line. You, you make a little bit of a dashed line uh, to indicate where you're going to bring things in and then you slowly bring more and more into it. It's almost like you're you're painting with the ink, right? And I just thought that was a really clever way to approach it because it feels like, I mean, ink is permanent, <laughs> but the way you do it, it feels like it's it's you're not making a full commitment to it, that you're still giving your, yourself some room there to uh, to modify it. Yeah, and I think it definitely depends on what you're drawing, but for most of my stuff, I don't really want super straight lines or lines that looks very clean. And so I can kind of dot them in and yeah, even if the line isn't straight at the end, you get a fuller view of what it might look like, what it could look like. Um, Cause I, I don't really like using rulers. Um, and so that method, yeah, yeah. allows you a little bit more freedom. Um, and you can also push yourself a little bit more towards perfectionism, which isn't good, but there's nothing worse for me at least than drawing in an entire building or something. And then looking at it afterwards and realizing that the, the roof doesn't meet up with the side of it or the perspective's all wrong or something like that. So I'd like you to be honest and tell me like, how many drawings do you throw away? Like, do you get to a point with some drawings where you spend an hour, two hours, five hours in it? And you're like, it's just, it, I, I've made too many mistakes. I'm not engaged anymore. Like what happens with that? Does, does it happen to you? And, and why do you kind of reject them if, if it does? It happened a lot more when I was talking earlier about drawing smaller quicker drawings that i wasn't really into um more for instagram and i think that was because they didn't seem as original to me and i didn't really put a lot of planning or thought into them and those kind of ingredients make for a recipe that yeah doesn't end well and i i don't i think it's kind of hard to feel inspired when you're not really feeling the work you're creating um so that happened a lot then and recently um, it still happens. I think like every every four or five drawings that I start, there'll be one that I get about an hour or, or an hour and a half in, 
and don't finish or I throw away. And usually it's because I didn't plan it out farther enough ahead of time. And so most of my favorite drawings of the past year, um, so like Rivendale the, from Lord of the Rings or a drawing of Hogwarts, uh, have been drawings that I would start one day and I would erase a few times. I would put down for a while and I wouldn't think about it for a couple of days. Um, they're drawings that I would spend a lot of time on in pencil before I even got to ink. And so when I kind of let myself take some space or take some time away from it, um, while I'm kind of thinking of it or planning it, it's, yeah, usually ends up better in the long run rather than ones that I want to rush out. And then I start drawing them and realize an hour in that it is, yeah, it's not a compelling scene or it's not a compelling composition or I just don't want to draw it anymore. Yeah, I think that uh, that's a really that's a really smart way to approach it. I've heard that from a few artists now where they will uh, lay a piece of work on a canvas, uh, pin it up on a cork board, um, and just live with the piece and wait for it to talk to you. And I did that with the snapping turtle, which was the largest piece I'd done in a, in a while. I did the same thing. I just had it on my drawing board and I would look at it and think, hmm, I know what I'm going to do next for you. And then I would just wait till the next day and see what happens then. Um, yeah, and you, I think, I think really you smart. learn a lot about it too, right? Like you learn more about your own process and more about what areas of art you need to really work on too. When you take the time to, yeah, just really intentionally go through every step of your process. Now there's, there's something you cover in your course, which I think a lot of people struggle with, and that is perspective. And I think you you really cover it well. So I think if people are struggling with perspective, it's it's a great, um, the way you cover it's excellent. So many people have come to me and said, how do I do perspective? In your opinion, what do you think is the best thing that people can do to up their perspective game? Is there an, is there an exercise? Is there a thought or an approach that you think would help people who have trouble with perspective? Yeah, I think... There, it's difficult because I there are the basics, but I think sometimes it can seem, yeah, it can seem difficult to uh, kind of follow the rules, even if you know the rules in your head, if that makes sense. And what I mean by that is like um, drawing up a point in the page and then kind of drawing lines out from that and drawing shapes on those lines. And, and that's technically how you go about creating perspective. But um, a lot of people have a lot of difficulty visualizing how that might work or what that might look like. And I think it's, it's difficult to say, but I think practice is, is really the key. And I, that's always the answer. I think that's the less, the least fun to, to hear or to, to talk about, but mm-hmm. um, I think intentional practice and exactly what you, what you're talking about um, going to a specific area or drawing a specific thing and really observing that thing and not to copy exactly what I said a little while ago, but I know for me, at least observing the scene or learning what to kind of look for in a perspective scene has really helped me be able to translate those scenes, I think more realistically. And that involves a lot of looking at objects as simple shapes, learning how to draw the shapes that the object might look like. And so whether you're drawing a, a tree, I guess, starting off with like a ball and, and a stick. And when, when you start really simple, um, th- those are easier shapes to kind of draw, even if you have to elongate them or flatten them if you're looking up at the tree, if that makes sense. And doing that in pencil, I, I suppose, um, is an easier way to start as well. Um, so if you draw a scene in pencil, a perspective scene, 
and be really ready with your eraser. And I think a lot of people might draw their scene, but and not take any um, time to review it or look at it. Um, but if you draw a scene in perspective, I'd say just just go for it, draw the scene in pencil, and then hold it out at arm's length and honestly look at it as an outsider and say, like, does this make sense? Like, does this scene actually look like how I'd view it if I was there? And if it doesn't, then just erase and start again. And I think if you don't do that, there's really no way of of improving your perspective skills because it it is a skill and it's also... I think a way of like viewing the world because you're viewing a perspective and then um, translating it onto the paper. So it, it involves that like mind to to hand uh, transfer, and I don't think that can come without hours of observation and, and just hours of revision, which I guess are kind of intertwined. I don't think really, I don't think that answers your question too much, but hopefully that helps some people. No, I, I think I think that's really good. I think you brought up something that I know I've messed up on so many times and I'm glad you brought it up. And that is when you're done with your sketch, whether it's perspective or or not to hold it at arm's length and take it all in from that level, because I've been so guilty of that where you're working on a piece and you're sketching it out or you're drawing it and you feel like, Oh, you know, I'm let's say I'm doing a turtle and I get everything right. And and I've done the shell and and, uh, the legs and it's like, Oh, this is really good. I just have to finish this eye and you finish the eye. And it's like, I finished the eye and it's like you, you end on a really high note, right? I finished this one part. This is awesome. But then you forget (laughs) to go to that 30,000 foot view and look at it relative to everything else. And I think sometimes, I don't know if it's, I don't want to see the mistake because I don't want to erase the head again and redo it. Uh, or you just want to get into, you know, adding the values um, and then figuring out the other elements and whatever the case. But that's a really good point and a really good tip, I think, is that idea that as you're working on a piece to pull it away from yourself and seeing it, because that's that's where perspective, like I see people try and do perspective. And, you know, let's say they're doing a farmhouse and they get the farm door perfect but it's like they forgot that the wall has to connect to another wall. And so the walls don't line up or one's really crooked and that wouldn't exist in reality. And it feels like they're not looking at what they're doing, but they are. It's just that their view is too narrow. Yeah, I think I think the thing about humans and the way we observe things is we catch up on things that are wrong with our natural environment fairly quickly, I think. And I think if if I'm in this, I'm in my, my bedroom right now, and if I look up and, and the wall seems to actually lead up towards the second story of this house, I won't be able to sit well with the entire room <laughs> until I find out like what the heck is going on. And I think a lot of people might miss that about drawings is that, yeah, no matter how good the farm door is, it doesn't mean really anything if the the farm roof looks like it's leading up into heaven. And so I think it's like, yeah, better to zoom out and and take your time methodically kind of checking over every element of the scene and, and the lines specifically. Um, because, yeah, we're, we're so good at picking up things that are wrong. And you see that in portraits all the time, right? Like you can, mm-hmm. yeah, you can pick out if someone's eyes are misaligned so easily because we're so trained to, to look at eyes and to observe people's faces. Um, and some small part of that does translate to our, our architectural environments as well. Um, so it is a narrow margin for error, for sure. But viewing the whole scene and trying to look at it holistically, I think, is a good way to start. 
Right. And I think the other thing that you mentioned too, which was really helpful is uh, you alluded to this idea of breaking it down into shapes and that's really good. And I think, you know, uh, and obviously using those guidelines to understand that, um, you know, this is a triangle and it's, 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 it's quite oblique or, um, you know, whatever the case, but I think, um, the way you cover it's really good. I, I would say they, I would say that if anyone's struggling with perspective, they really should check out that course because it's uh, it's really well done. I'll also say um, one more thing as well that we talked about earlier is um, if you have a artist friend or a, a coworker or anyone who can take a look at your scene, I've done that with my dad actually before um, when we've been sketching together, or even when we're far apart and having outside eyes on your pencil sketch um, can be really key because I think you mentioned it too, that it's sometimes really hard to face up to your own mistakes, but to having that outside perspective and someone you really respect, um, kind of to critique your art in a positive way, mm-hmm. uh, can really pinpoint maybe some ways that you can improve, especially on perspective that you aren't really willing to, to acknowledge. Yeah. And it's being, being willing to accept that and being willing to make the change. So it's not, it, it's, it's being open to hearing it and being open to do something about it. Right. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's hard. It's hard. So I wanted to dive deeper into kind of the Skillshare bit from two perspectives. So you've done these two courses. How was that? Like actually producing a course, uh, you know, for the time that you put into it and like I assume you prepared a script and all that, just as a producer, a content creator, what was that exercise like for you? It was was really tough. And I guess not (laughs) to take any of the magic or the illusion of of coolness away from it but i i produced both of them at my parents house and on slow farm wi-fi and without my own studio space and it was yeah way more difficult than i thought it would be i think when i went into it i thought the most difficult part would be um, editing afterwards though i found from a even from a technical standpoint um, scripting out what you want to say beforehand and actually working your way through the lessons, um, I think was the most difficult part for me. Um, that also required the most editing afterwards because at certain points, especially with my first class, I didn't really take enough time to revise my, my class plan and, and go through it. Um, and so I think, yeah, for me, I, I filmed all the lessons in my mom's little cabin and, um, I would, I scripted out the, the lessons beforehand and, um, and then filmed the entire first class in one day and then edited it, um, for, for quite a while as well. And I think it was just a, a big kind of wake up call about how it's, it's well and good to like know a skill and to have it in your head and be able to draw things and draw in perspective, but, mm-hmm. um, to be able to take it out of your head and put it down on paper and then even harder to say it to a camera when there's no one else around, uh, was really, really difficult. And by the time I published it, I thought no one is going to want to see this. Like I, I didn't want to watch any of the lessons when they were done or when I was editing them, but yeah, it it went really well. And I will say I had extra help, um, in that I was, I'm in the Skillshare, like teach core, uh, program. So I have like a one-on-one, uh, Skillshare mentor who helps me through the classes. And so after that first class, I, started uh, getting the help of uh, Gabriella from Skillshare and she helped with my second class, which is a much smoother experience. But in both cases, it was definitely the scripting and actually developing a lesson plan. That was the, the trickiest thing to do for sure. So had you taught anyone before you started the Skillshare class? No, not at all. The 
The most I had done was, I guess, sending messages on Instagram and giving people pointers. <laughs> and then right. a couple of family friends, uh, their kids, I did um, some one-on-one Zoom classes with. But I had done like nothing, no art instruction, no teaching really of any kind before that at all. That's awesome. I, I'm, I, I think you did a great job. So, oh, thanks. I appreciate you I, for doing that. <laughs> I was... I, I was actually waiting in the in the days after I posted it. I was like waiting for my first negative review. <laughs> and then I, yeah, I, I was not confident at all. So I, I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah, it's it's good. I I think you did a good job. It's it is hard. It's it's it is hard to transition from um, student to teacher. I do think, and I've said this before on the podcast, that I think we are better artists when we can teach what we know because it forces us to to pull back the curtain to abstract ourselves away from the skills in a way that we can teach it and i think by doing that we can maybe realize where we can improve or how we do things because i mean even though you've done two courses there's probably still stuff that you do that you don't really know how or why you do it it just happens and when you draw or you paint long enough, things just happen. If I want this thing to, to happen, I just make it happen. I don't really think about this is step one and this is step two. <laughs> it's like I come in and do this thing. And if it doesn't work, I try this thing. And I just, you, you do it in your head. And um, you can hear that come across in your class as well. And I think it's it's just great. I think that um, you're not going to learn everything you know from one person. But uh, certainly watching some of your classes will help so many people. So I would recommend they check it out. And uh, and I wanted to lead into this next point, and that is you've got a third class now that you're yeah. working on, right? Yeah, for sure. And yeah, so I think what you said about uh, when you pull back the curtain and, and start teaching, you kind of learn what you need to work on. And that has definitely been true, I think, as well in terms of realizing the gaps in my own method or the gaps in uh, what I can draw and the things and textures and shapes that I skip over in drawings. And I think that's something I want to kind of explore in my fourth class, which I'm kind of already thinking about. But I guess, yeah, my third class um, (laughs) is going to be about perspective as well. And I, yeah, so I I was talking to the, um, the Skillshare representative for quite a long time about this one and planning it out. And I originally was going to do a class on trees, but she's very good at holding me accountable and said that uh, I needed to try something that would, yeah, uh, challenge me a little bit more to develop my own teaching method. And because that is that is something I'm, I'm kind of struggling with is how to best convey um, my, my method to people. And so this class is going to be all about perspective in terms of how to evoke emotion and use different perspectives for your own purposes. And I think a lot of people draw from perspective um, as a end in itself, as in like, I want to get good at perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think while that is amazing and great, perspective is a tool, just like shading is a tool. And it's something you can learn to do better. And it's something that can make your pieces better as well um, by giving people an unusual vantage point to look at something um, or conveying certain emotions by how they look at something. Um, and so I think, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for it. And I think it's going to be a really good challenge uh, for me too to develop actionable teaching points and to spend a lot more time drafting the the teaching plan before I I hop in and start filming. I'm also going to be filming here in my own space, which is going to be really really nice uh, this time as well. So, and you're looking at number four now too, 
you get that in your mind. So this is <laughs> it's going to be a whole line of courses, right? Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. It's it's a nice project to have. Um, it's a nice way to um, keep myself accountable in terms of like doing art and also doing it for what I think are, are the right reasons and hopefully feeding back into the community. It also like it is a, a way to make money as well, which has been really really great. And yeah, it's just been a lot of fun. Um, it's the biggest. Yeah, one of the biggest honors I've ever had in my life is like seeing a piece of art that someone's created and when they say that like I've helped them in some small way to do that or helped improve their their art practice, it's a pretty rewarding feeling and it also yeah, to me is is a way to kind of complement some of the negative or no, fight some of the negative parts of social media in terms of like right. utilizing a platform for some sort of good or some sort of inspiration and, and creativity and I think Skillshare has been a really, really good way for me to try to do that or, or think about doing that more. Yeah, I think uh, I'm, you're going to do some awesome stuff on Skillshare. I'm looking forward to, to seeing more of that. I've had a Skillshare uh, account for a number of years now, and I'm, I'm so glad you're putting stuff there. But um, yeah, it's uh, you'll have to let me know as soon as that third course is out. And, Thanks uh, a lot. I would say, I though I did say it was difficult, I, I would encourage anyone to make a course because like we both said, like I, it's... Yeah, super valuable for your own practice. And I think a lot of people might think that they have to be a professional or have a huge following or sell millions of dollars worth of work. But I think most artists have skills or have a niche or have specific things that they do super well that people would love to learn about and love how they do. So yeah, I definitely don't want to discourage anyone from making a Skillshare class. That's cool. So if you're listening to this, you can probably do a Skillshare class on something. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah do it whatever it is cooking whether it's drawing like plants anything it's i'm sure people would yeah i think sharing your knowledge is such a cool thing a cool thing that the internet allows us to do and mm-hmm. who doesn't want to see more art in any platform so and, and you know you can generate some revenue versus posting things on youtube as well so yeah yeah for yeah. sure yeah that's cool so i want to d- dive we talked about social media quickly earlier but i want to dive back into that because you have a quite a significant following on Instagram. And I'm wondering, what is that like for you now? Has that changed your interaction and what you post? You know, I've we've connected through some live draws. I really haven't done a whole lot of live draws recently. I'm going to want to do more because I think those interactive sessions are great. Are you happy with the way that you're interacting with Instagram at this point? Because I think that so many of us want to keep feeding it hoping for a great payoff or, uh, you know, 6,000 likes or I'm going to go viral or I'm going to get, a, you know, 5,000 followers in a day versus this is something I did. Like it if you want. What's your relationship with Instagram now? Definitely, yeah, it's definitely changed a lot since I first started. And I first started drawing to relax, but I also really loved the fact that my drawings were connecting with people and, and getting a lot of likes on Instagram. And that kind of transferred into what I talked about earlier in terms of drawing some stuff that I didn't really want to draw, but I thought would do well on Instagram. And in some cases it did, like I drew a a whale and it was actually, that was a drawing I really, really loved to do. Um, But I I drew a really simple drawing of a whale and it got like 10,000 likes or something. And after that, I kind of thought, okay, this is what I got to do. Like I, I have to draw really simple drawings um, and and work on my craft that way. And again, nothing wrong with any of that. Um, but for me, like my, I guess my first passion was always architecture and, and landscapes. And so I kind of dived away from that. 
and it kind of drained my enthusiasm of Instagram, especially in the next couple of years as the chatter about the algorithm kind of came into the forefront and it seemed like engagement was dropping off. And so that was difficult in the first world problem sense of, of like, yeah, feeling um, really weird about drawings not getting any reach, not developing any more followers. And yeah, at that point, I wasn't really wasn't really inst- into Instagram and it was more of a negative influence in my life. And I guess that would be more like late 2018, early 2019. But it gradually kind of changed. And I'm not really sure what sparked that change, but became more and more posting what I wanted to. And um, that kind of coincided with developing more of an Etsy presence as well. Okay. Um, and so in the kind of second half of 2020, I started selling more on Etsy and kind of complementing that with more focused work on Instagram, um, not worrying as much about regular posting. And I wasn't really growing as an account um, that much, but having a lot more fun doing it and trying to push myself to be more interactive um, trying to limit my time a little bit more on the app too, and kind of focus on what parts of Instagram I found enriching in my own life and, and kind of narrow in on, on those parts. And then, yeah, I started to grow a little bit more as an account as I started enjoying myself there. Um, and simultaneously like getting more Etsy sales and developing more that way. And then I guess actually the, then most recently one of my reels uh, went viral. And so it got like, almost 300,000 views and a whole bunch of likes. And I think I gained like 400 followers off one reel. Wow. Um, which was really funny because I, I didn't spend that much time on it and I still don't really spend that much time on reels, but it did wonders for my account, I guess. Um, and so that's kind of where I am now um, in terms of not posting too much, but I have a very successful singular reel. And <laughs> a lot of, like, I think a lot of people seem to like the fact that yeah, I post pretty regularly, but I forget to post a lot of the time and I try to use stories, but I usually forget to post stories. I've been trying to do a lot more lives recently, um, but I've been pretty busy with, with my day job and stuff. Um, and so I, I think I'm kind of in between. I'm, I'm a regular user of Instagram and I love using it to try to build my, my drawing business mm-hmm. and get inspiration from, from other folks. Um, but at the same time, it's easy for me to kind of let it fall by the wayside and to not check it that much or not invest in the Instagram community as much as I'd like to sometimes. But the reel has definitely, <laughs> that's been the kicker recently. Yeah. I, th- I was, I've heard people talk about like, if you really want the, the algorithms challenging and some people, some people suggest you should post, you should do a post every, uh, every day. But the real thing is reels <laughs> is that you should be doing three reels a week. And this is, you know, I don't know, it, it seems to make sense. I mean, Instagram really wants to showcase these reels. I see them all the time. I've tried a couple. They've been pretty successful um, relative to some of the early reels I've done and some of the posts I've done. But I, uh, yeah, I'll have to check out that reel. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it, you want to look at people's stuff and figure out how do I do that, right? Like it's yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's funny. It's I think the thing is, is it's for me, I'm struggling not to be cynical about reels and TikTok. Mm-hmm. And I think just sometimes it's difficult when I, when it appears that in order to be successful on these platforms or in reels, the best way to do it is to be derivative or like copy other things you see or hinge the reel on a really simple 
kind of cliche hook yeah. or something like that. Whereas I've seen other reels that are these, these artists are pouring their life and soul into creating this reel of their art that took like 40 hours to do and it, and it's not getting any traction. So I, 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 yeah, I've heard the same thing and I definitely agree that reels are the way to grow your Instagram account, but I think it's just like, yeah, you got to do what you love and you got to figure out what you want from Instagram. And if it's just followers, then yes, reels, or if you love making reels or you love that kind of stuff, then I think that's great. But I think sometimes it's hard to figure out like what I enjoy about Instagram and kind of separate that from like what I think I should be doing on Instagram, if that makes sense, especially in terms of art. Do you think that your success on Instagram or the Skillshare classes has contributed to more Etsy sales? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, I, w- I would never say I have like a successful Etsy shop, um, but I renovated it last October and just did a lot more like search engine optimization and kind of unified the postings and and that kind of stuff. And then after that process, I kind of transferred to Instagram and started considering the idea of doing like limited edition prints every year and kind mm-hmm. of make them a little bit more special by kind of chronicling the, the process of doing them on Instagram and then posting them and, and doing contests about them and stuff and um, kind of having like signature like prints of the year kind of thing. And mm-hmm. both those efforts combined have definitely like helped with, with sales um, a lot. And most recently, um, the print of the Rivendell scene from Lord of the Rings. Um, so I posted that on Instagram and got a few pre-sales uh, through that as well. Um, but I'd say, I'd say it's about 20% of my Etsy traffic, I think, comes from Instagram. But I can usually tell when people make a purchase from seeing my profile. Huh. That's cool. So, I mean, you've got some diversity in your income with regard to art with Skillshare, with Etsy and all that stuff. Do you do commissions as well? Yeah. Yeah. So I find commissions harder. Um, I just finished up the biggest series I've ever done. It was like seven, seven drawings, um, for a really lovely person in the States. And, um, I, I really loved doing that one and I've loved the Hobbit holes, but I, I sometimes find commissions really difficult to, to take on if I don't have a clear view of my schedule in the next couple of weeks. Right. And so it's, it's easy for me to pick up a sketchbook and do some art for myself at night. But if I'm doing it for someone else, it takes on a little bit more importance. Um, and so I'm trying to be a little bit more cautious about doing commissions. And I've also found it difficult to up my prices, um, even though I think I should, or I've been told I've should. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes last year, especially I, I was doing some commissions for pretty low, a, a pretty low price point. So it's easy to kind of feel a little bit bitter when you're spending like eight hours on a drawing and then you're only getting so much money for it. Right. Um, so I think this year, yeah, commissions are definitely something I want to kind of work on this year in terms of making it better for me and better for the client as well with better systems and processes of doing that. That's cool. So I want to talk about Procreate before we get into the last segment. Um, so how often are you using Procreate now? It, it really varies. Um, and so I think this week in particular, um, so I just started a new job last week and moved into a new place. And so I have not really discovered my my pen drawing mojo, and that usually comes in waves. Um, and I've found out in the past couple of years it's better to, yeah, for me sometimes it's better to not draw rather than to force myself to draw and not really enjoy it, um, and to kind of build up enthusiasm for it again. Um, and then usually that comes within a couple of days or a week or so, and then I find I create better work. And usually to fill that gap now, I've found Procreate is a really great tool. Uh, it kind of keeps my mind kind of working creatively 
and it's something you can do while you're watching TV um, without much thought. Um, and painting and, and drawing, I usually paint on Procreate, but drawing on there as well, I think really does complement like, yeah, other, other types of tools or, or physical tools that you use as well. Um, with like muscle memory and control and then all the basics like composition that kind of stuff mm-hmm. too also with i never never really use color in my other drawings so procreate really has challenged me to get a better sense of color and i've realized that learning how to use color well and emphatically and effectively is a whole kind of new world and a kind of a whole world beside the world of pen and ink mm-hmm. um, so i've been really interested in exploring that more and looking at the work of some great animators and video game concept artists and some of those worlds, and then kind of focusing on trying to uh, capture the colors of those worlds rather than the shape and composition like I would with pen. Right. There's a great, um, a great book by uh, James Gurney that covers color and light. And uh, it's awesome. Like it, and it's oh, very okay. simple. It's like everything. Most pages are just like two pages. Here's something we're going to cover. Here's two more pages. So you can that sounds it good because it it does seem so complicated when I, yeah. when you just think about it and like how to match these colors how to create this certain emotion and how to yeah use different hues of the blue and stuff but to have someone simplify it that'd be really helpful yeah it's a it's a great book and the, the other so i wanted to ask you with procreate is there like a a brush a couple of brushes that you use on a regular basis yeah the um actually the i guess there's three that i'm thinking of and one is the watercolor brush and I don't really use it like watercolor. I kind of like layer it up quite a lot, but I love the texture of it. And um, yeah, it just adds a nice a nice texture to the page. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the flat brush, similar, nice texture, um, almost acts like a marker. You can kind of like overlap some lines and stuff. And the dry paintbrush as well um, to for a lot of texture as well. You, you can see that I really love texture, but right. yeah, definitely those three. And I usually... I've been experimenting a lot with like clipping masks. So like creating the the shape and then the clipping mask kind of negates the space around it. So you're just drawing on the shape that you you drew. Mm -hmm. Um, That's been really fun thing to experiment with. And those kind of brushes I find are really great at kind of creating some texture. But at the same time, I, I haven't taken any Procreate classes or anything on Skillshare or YouTube so I'd be really interested in learning more about brushes and kind of investigating that world. Cause I, I think there's like millions of different brushes now and people doing procreate all over the, all over the place. Yeah. There's, um, uh, Aaron blaze. Um, he was, he did, um, brother bear. Uh, he has a bunch of, um, uh, Photoshop brushes and I bought a bunch of them. They're usually on sale for like a buck or two, but you could import them into procreate. And the ones I bought were things like elephant skin, <laughs> um grass like just these uh, environmental textures right which would take forever to draw that's so uh, cool yeah yeah and uh and the other person is max ulichny who was on the podcast he has a a set or a few sets of brushes um and if you search for max packs uh he has some great brushes for watercolor um he has uh one for comics um they're great additions and once again all these procreate brushes are fairly cheap but um, I love Procreate. And I wanted to know, like, are, do you use Procreate to stage any of your analog work? Like, do you ever do like a practice sketch or are they separate for you? No, I, and I'd be interested to hear your take on this too. But I've found I, I really like going a completely different direction on Procreate. 
And so even sketching in pencil, I, I'm not a big fan of doing it in Procreate unless it's for a client. And so I've found it's, that's been really great to do like concept sketches to send to people because um, they're really quick. But otherwise, for me, I like to just start analog drawings in the real like physical world um, because I don't know if it's real or not, but I, I'm a big believer in like muscle memory. And so by sketching out in pencil and kind of doing trial and error and erasing on the actual page, um, my mind and my eyes at least just get more acquainted with the space I'm working with. Um, and if I try to translate what I do on Procreate onto an actual page, I find, yeah, I just, I lose a little bit of the the prep time that doing it all physically gives me. But that being said, I've, I've done the other way quite a lot as in drawing things in, in pen and then trying to figure out what it might look like if I painted it in Procreate and give it some color. And that's been really rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fun exercise. I, I don't, I've used it a few times when I did Inktober last year. Um, you know, I would take a picture of, cause I did it all in one piece. So I would take a picture of the area. I think I want to put the next piece and then I would pull it into Procreate and draw and thinking, how can I fit it in? But I, I don't, uh, you're asking me about my process. I, th- if I'm going to do an, let's say I'm going to do a, a, a snapping turtle or a wolf or something, I may draw it three or four times in Procreate before I actually do it. I'm not doing it because I'm trying to copy what I did in Procreate. I'm trying to understand as I draw that what's going to be a challenge for me. Um, mm-hmm. And so I may do it. I, I did a cardinal as a, as a commission, and I drew it in Procreate, I think, three times. I did it in colored pencil twice. I did it in watercolor. The final piece ended up being a colored pencil piece. So I actually drew this. And it wasn't the same uh, subject, but it was a cardinal, but different cardinals. I drew it like eight times before I finally settled on what I was going to do with it. That's Um, pretty cool, though. You can like develop your own, yeah, I don't know, develop your own senses a little bit, you know, and kind of develop what areas you want to improve on as you kind of move through that process. Yeah. And I think you had a really clever point in in saying that, you know, there is kind of a feedback loop. In, in using Procreate and then doing analog work, they, they complement each other. Like the thing that frustrates me more, I think between that is like, I can't live without both. Like I need both now. But the thing that bothers me is I'll spend, all takes is about half an hour in Procreate. And the next time I go and draw an analog, I'm tapping the paper with two fingers to try and undo a pencil mark. Yeah. Or the, the, the zoom really gets me. Yes. I, <laughs> And yeah, I'm sure there's some good like comedy YouTube videos about that, yeah. but it can be yeah. pretty embarrassing for sure. Especially if you're in a cafe. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, it, we'll have to, uh, we'll have to do some live draws, I think, and maybe we can mix in some Procreate in there too. That would be kind of fun to do. You know what? I'd love to. I, I haven't been on Instagram at all really, or drawn live for, for a long time. So anytime your game, I'd, I'd love to do that. Okay, so let's let's do that. When we, uh, if you're listening to this podcast now, check Instagram, and we will post a countdown timer for when we do a, a live draw. So f- follow uh, both Sam and I. I'll provide links in the show notes, and um, we'll post a, a countdown timer for the next time we draw, and you'll be able to watch us and, and ask questions and and that kind of stuff. So, and we'll probably end up talking a lot more about jelly roll pens and <laughs> and ink wells and that kind of stuff. Exactly. While we draw too. A bit of a show and tell and, and uh, playing with stuff, but uh, that would be fun. Whether it's analog or digital, I mean, uh, it was it was fun when we did it last time, so I think it would be good to do that again. Even if we're working on different things, I think uh, it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I wanted to um, 
maybe just ask you, because it is the times, uh, how's COVID and the pandemic been for you with regard to your creativity? Mm, yeah. And I was reading something today a little bit about like memory loss during COVID and how things like depression and stuff influence memory loss. And I guess without getting too much into that, there's actually like things I can't really remember about the early months of COVID. Um, and cause my life changed so abruptly and I was super privileged to be able to um, move back in with my parents and a really happy home when COVID kind of hit. And I definitely took a break from drawing for, for quite a while. And I can't remember really when I uh, picked it back up again, but yeah, it was a long time and that I kind of went without drawing and kind of dove more into to video games and stuff like that, um, which is a lot of fun for a while. And then I think the end of 2020, um, that's when I kind of started getting back into like daily drawing. Um, and then with renovating my Etsy shop, I, I started getting more sales. So that kind of part of my brain kind of sparked into being more. I think, and I guess not to go back in time again, but the um, Skillshare class, which I produced in the summer of 2020, also kind of used up a lot of my creative juices. So I wasn't really drawing that much while I was creating that class. And so in the winter of 2020 um, or 2021, I guess, which seems like that was like four years ago now, but Mm -hmm. only recently. Yeah, I, I was on a pretty stressful job contract doing journalism and I kind of fell back into that, the pattern of drawing I had in university, uh, drawing at night. And so I got really into a couple true crime podcasts. What was it called? The To Live and Die in LA sticks out in my mind. And so it's a, okay. a really immersive podcast um, about an unsolved murder in, in LA. And I was listening to that for like hours every night um, up in my dad's office on my little corner at the desk and um yeah just draw and really immerse myself in some really longer pieces and through that i think the first one on i'm pretty sure was a drawing of minas tirith the castle from lord of the rings um and so through kind of throwing myself into these huge intimidating drawings i kind of rediscovered a love of it and rediscovered like how much peace it could bring me through covid and yeah i think because of that i i really because of COVID, I think I was really allowed to feel or remember how much I love drawing and how much I wanted it to be a part of my life mm-hmm. um, because all my journalism plans kind of fell out from beneath me um, in terms of a, a, a really good internship after school and some possible summer job uh, possibilities and like university graduation and stuff. And so while I didn't draw for a while throughout the year, I kind of realized that as I got back into drawing, I wanted it to be more of a part of my life for the long term. And I think a lot of people have realized that during this time too, kind of realizing like what's important. And for me, I realized that like drawing trumps a lot of other things in my life as far as what I value, what I want to spend money on and spend time on. And so I think, yeah, I think that has probably been the main main kind of relation between like COVID-19 and and drawing for me. I'm a, I'm a natural introvert. And so... While COVID has been really tough, um, I I think even if it wasn't COVID, I would have spent a lot of nights um, alone drawing and, and been pretty happy about that. Um, <laughs> right. But COVID definitely kind of spurred me on in that, um, in the in that doing that more. And I live I lived with my parents in like a farm, kind of out of the out of the city where we live near, and so we were pretty uh, pretty secluded for quite a long time. And 
but yeah, that didn't really correlate with drawing in, until more recently, I guess. So that's a very roundabout answer, but that'd probably be the the, over, the spark notes of, of the COVID impact on my drawing. Well, I think that's, it's good that you brought up the, the time points because um, it is hard. Like, I think the thing with COVID is that a lot of the stuff we did went away. So the opportunity to get a flat tire when you're at the grocery store, the opportunity to um, to work on something out back uh, because you could walk into a Home Depot uh, and buy things. All those opportunities for these milestones, these time points that help us to remember a summer went away. Like my daughter graduated high school, there was no graduation. So like there was no vacation. All these time points, it just, you have no way to say, I don't know if that was June or July. Like we didn't have Canada Day, right? So like it, and it, it, it's hard to remember things without those time points, right? Yeah, and um, I, th- I think drawing was one of the few activities that wasn't hindered in any way. So I'm a, I'm a big mountain biker and dirt biker as well. And both those activities were truncated by COVID, but there was no limit to drawing or no limit to being able to get stuff from Amazon or post stuff mm-hmm. online. And so I think the fact that it was such a, yeah, a, a seamless activity that didn't require me to make a booking or do curbside pickup or, yeah, call 15 people or something like that, right? Or have something canceled. Right kind of eventually made it into a pretty natural centerpiece in my in my COVID life. I wanted to uh, get to this point of asking you about homework, but I'm going to ask you this question, and, and I do ask a few guests the same question, but I think it would be fun with you. And I asked it recently of another guest, so I, I wanna, I'm curious what your answer is going to be. If you had the opportunity to have lunch with a fictional character, a fictional person, who would it be? Oh, that's a tricky one. I'm a big fan of lunch, so it'd have to be, I, I have to put some thought into this and like imagine what we're going to eat as well, the, the type of sandwich. Um, hmm. I'm thinking, I've read some good books this year. I Okay, I think this, I, I my answer might be different further on down the road, but I read a, um, a book called Clara and the Sun recently um, by an English author, and I don't want to mispronounce his name, so I might have to put that in. I might have to put that in later, but I'll put it in the um, show notes. Yeah. 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 And he uh, wrote this book about a AI helper that helps the teens, like a, a friend to ward off loneliness. And so okay. her name's Clara and she's like a completely aware human looking machine. And I think it'd be interesting to have lunch with her because I think that the way AI is going right now is very interesting. And she kind of represents a logical conclusion or milestone in that journey that we might see 30 or 40 years down the road in a kind of quirky, interesting way. Um, and I think, I think he's one of the best writers around right now. He did, um, the buried giant as well. And like, never let me go. And, um, so he writes really interesting characters that, yeah, they, they have like a certain melancholy about them. And I think lunch with her would be a quite interesting experience because the conversation would be very, interesting and she'd probably pinpoint aspects of myself that would be very disconcerting to have someone observe over like a club sandwich <laughs> that would be cool i'm gonna have to check this so you th- recommend the book yeah yeah okay i want to make sure i get his name right um yeah uh kazuo uh, kazuo um ishiguro and okay. yeah he's a english author and uh, i think a couple of his books have been made into movies but 
really really incredible writing i'll i'll include uh links to uh to all those books in the in the show notes so people can uh, can follow up and and read more about clara as well so that's cool yeah i love that answer (laughs) so i wanted to uh to end as i normally do with some homework uh for the person listening to think about uh how they can um bring their creative journey forward and what they can do to become a better artist and i'm wondering what you would recommend as a matter of homework yeah yeah i think i was thinking a lot about it i i think um one thing i'd say and i guess i'll preface this by saying that from my experience and what i really love to do is um big landscape scenes and and architectural motifs and kind of views into fantasy landscapes. And so I guess a little bit of homework that I'd recommend is kind of really thinking about what kind of intellectual property or series or movie um, or book that you really love and that you kind of have drawn inspiration from or aspire to kind of recreate in your own artistic way, Mm -hmm. um, whether that's with pen or pencil or marker or anything. And then kind of go a step further and kind of pinpoint exactly what it is about the universe in terms of a specific scene and then go a step further in that scene. What is it about the way that they make you perceive the world? And so I guess the example I'd give would be in the Lord of the Rings, the scene I'm thinking of is when Gandalf kind of crests this hill and is viewing like the city of Minas Tirith and the thing that I love about um, that scene and, and that world is the sense of uh, grandeur and the sense of kind of urgency, um, as well as this like ancient mythology that is constantly like playing itself out in the lives and the in the missions of these characters. And the way that I think that is shown in that scene is the the scale, and so the way that Gandalf is kind of shown. Um, dwarfed by this massive city that bears similar characteristics to him in terms of being like all white and and stuff like that but it's the scale of that city and the scale of the scene and the contrast between this massive city and this gray and and, uh, dead landscape Mm -hmm. and so I have I've like pinpointed that and then from there I can pick out how I want to begin my own scene that would yeah lead me on a journey to create something like that which is a very roundabout way to say that I'd invite everyone else to kind of kind of work down that pinpointing method um, to find out what it is exactly um, about these worlds or about this inspiration that you have and then kind of work backwards and incorporate that exact thing into, yeah, how you want to learn, um, whether that's this, the scale of the scene or whether that's the colors of the scene or whether that's the angle that you're viewing the scene from which is a very loose homework assignment, but basically it's just observe what you love and observe these, these worlds that you love. And then by pinpointing exactly what it is about it, then you'll have a, a good entry into creating that for yourself. And would you be okay if they did it in Procreate or with analog tools? Yeah. Yeah. I think however you think best kind of, um, yeah, lives out your vision. And I think that kind of depends on what it is you love. And so for instance, if it is scale or if it is composition, then, you might do that in pencil or pen. Um, if it's the colors that you really love or the shape of someone's face in a scene or the way that they're observing someone else in a scene, then you maybe do it in Procreate or pencil or, or whatever you whatever you really want. Um, but yeah, th- I think that the crux of it is just to start really small and really, really focused and work your way into the scene and into the universe 
uh, from that really focus point. That's awesome. So I wanted to ask you where people can find you online. I mean, obviously we talked about Instagram and I will link to your Skillshare class. Um, where else can people find you online? Yeah, that's uh, that's about it right now. Um, unless you want to follow my my small town news uh, goings on, but <laughs> I I've been kind of working on a website on the side, and by working on it, I mean I've purchased a domain name. Um, <laughs> but currently, yeah, Skillshare and Instagram um, is the way to do it. Um, and if you want to check out more of my work, you can um, look me up on Etsy as well at Sam okay. Gillette Inks. Um, and on there, I have some other variations of my work and stuff for download, that kind of fun stuff. Okay. But yeah, my favorite thing is definitely chatting with people on Instagram. So if anyone's listening and they want to ask questions or or chat about art or anything like that, always up for a message. Well, thank you, Sam. I appreciate your time in doing this. Uh, It's been such a pleasure speaking with you so early in your career and uh, seeing your accomplishments so far and your wonderful work and being able to do the live draws with you. You've been so accessible through all of this. Uh, yeah, it's been a I'm, lot of fun. I'm honored to uh, to be on the show, and yeah, seeing the, the names of people you've had on before, I'm yeah, just it's it's great to be on here. Great to chat with you, and and thanks for putting up with all my ramblings and uh, tangents <laughs> and chatting about observation like 50 times and stuff like that. But it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's been, it's been great, and I think that uh, people are going to walk away with this with an enthusiasm in uh, taking on their their next project and uh, pushing themselves a little bit further. And I think your homework is brilliant and uh, wishing you all the best into 2021 with with everything that you do and looking forward to that next Skillshare class. Perfect, same to you. And I'll see you on Instagram Live in the next couple of weeks for sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sam. Appreciate it. Show notes, including links to everything Sam and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 55. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Be kind to yourself and each other and keep trying. The music for this podcast is Acid Jazz provided by Kevin McLeod.